I was in the car earlier, and uh, this joke came to mind, Zach. What do you call a cannibal that gets a job working in Adobe Illustrator? What? Hannibal Vector. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that... <laughs> when you first started, I was like, all right, cannibal joke. You know, it's... That's good. I can get down with that. But then it was like... <laughs> it, it got like really specific really fast and i was like all right i should be able to get the answer to this but i just <laughs> hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of watch no evil this is matt and this is zach and today we're going to be talking about the 2020 direct-to-streaming service film Antebellum, starring Janelle Monet, Or as I like to call it, what the South would be like if Georgia had not flipped blue. <laughs> yeah, so, content warning, this will get political real fast. And also, this, this is... Uh, it's a fairly graphic movie that that can cause some some sensitivities to be rubbed the wrong way. So if you don't like talking politics and you don't like talking about sensitive subjects, this is not the episode for you. Uh, just yeah, skip it. That that being said, this is a great movie, and I think that the political message is extraordinarily potent. Mm-hmm. especially because of when this came out. I think that it obviously would have had a lot more um, success just from a marketing standpoint and from a, I guess, notoriety standpoint if it had been allowed to release in theaters and it had been allowed to receive, you know, the the press that it deserved. But obviously with the quarantine, they can't really release it to theaters with any success because people aren't going to theaters. But if they put off releasing it if they like just waited and said okay we're gonna release it in 2021 or 2022 the potency of the me- of the actual message gets significantly diminished mm-hmm. i i do feel that if theaters were open for the re- release of this and people were willing to go to theaters that it i think this would have earned just as much notoriety as us possibly even as much mm-hmm. as get out get out of course was you know, more noteworthy just because of it being the first black horror movie to actually, like, straight out point out the horrors of of racism. And that's not to say that movies that came before it weren't notable. It's just that there is a certain climate that has to be present for these movies to make the impact that they do. And I think, obviously, Jordan Peele was sensitive about that. Mm -hmm. And... There's almost an unfairness in the the necessity of quality in those movies. Like, the movie has to be incredible to get the same amount of recognition and draw as rather less remarkable, you know, white movies. Right. Uh, as much as people like it, fuck La La Land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Get Out was better. Uh, La La Land was, like, so... Like, it is fine. Like, it's entertaining. But I feel like it is not thought-provoking. It's like, oh, it's a love story. And, like, the the meaning of life. And it's like, yeah, people have done this before. You watch Get Out, that that hasn't been done before. (laughs) Yeah. Nothing like that. Also, City of Stars. 
City of Stars isn't a good song. I'll say it. You know what? This is the La La Land episode. I hate City of Stars. What do you think about The Greatest Showman? Greatest Showman? Boring. <laughs> oh. All right. So anyway, anyway. Annabelle. <laughs> <laughs> what movie are we talking about today? <laughs> Starring Janelle Monet. Who? Uh, Janelle Monet is is first and foremost known for her music career, Dirty Computer, was like her most recent album. And then she took to acting and immediately was met with critical success. I mean, she won an Oscar in like the first movie that she was in. So she's a good actress and she is really the heart of this film. Mm -hmm. She exists simultaneously as one character and two characters. So we get to see her uh, in the past and in the present. And so her portrayal of Eden is strong, reserved. And then you've got the Professor Veronica, a fairly strong and an independent person. And she specifically lectures on the identity politics that come with representing blackness. And yeah, she is she is the, the lead of the movie. She's really the heart. Yeah, she's she's an activist in, in the present time. I think she's like a doctorate of, or she has a doctorate of like... Social science. Yeah, something like something like that. They don't really they don't really go into that much. I, yeah, I think Veronica as a as a character is really interesting. Like the the duality between her and her like almost persona as Eden is interesting because when she is called Eden, when she's on the plantation, up until the very end when she tries to make her escape, she is this like it almost feels like a completely different person and personality and i think to to a point where you you kind of feel like are these like alternate realities at first and it's just interesting to have that duality between like she is a strong activist in her life but when she's put into this cage she becomes someone else until she then decides it's too much you know i've had enough the movie doesn't leave you guessing either right and and i like that about it i like that it starts in the past i feel like a lesser writer or lesser writing staff would have had five or six flips between the two yeah there's very few quote-unquote time periods even though they're the same time period and i like that they do that and that there's not this cut back and forth all the time between time periods because it gives you time to sit in the setting and actually get comfortable and then it does throw you off when it changes just enough so that you're all right trying to piece together what's going on here but you're still not losing any of that detail you're still being able to piece together the story without losing any of the elements of the story. And so at the beginning of this, you see Eden, and we only know her as Eden. And so we assume that it's like, okay, this is Eden's story. And then when it flips into the present, the first question is, okay, so this is now in the future, and we're following it from Veronica, who has to be a descendant, when in reality, it's doing the opposite. It's flipping the direction. So you're actually going back in time rather than forward in time. But there is that temporal distortion between the two, because actually what we're seeing is time being flipped. And there are some 
some subtleties to the way that they do the original one. And I, I commented it out in the opening scene. One of the women on the, the reenactment plantation is running away. She's got a, a bald head and she has a cross necklace, a gold cross necklace. And when she's running away, I said to you while we were watching it, oh, she has a nose ring. Mm. And it's like a little gold nose ring. Mm-hmm. And that is because she's from an era in which little That's tiny gold nose ring hoops would be commonplace. But it's sort of that thing that like it bends the lines a little bit because then you're like, okay, would they have would they have had a nose ring on a plantation like that? And then it's like probably not when you think about it a second time. Yeah. Or also some of the vernacular, like the decision for Eli to call Mm-hmm. the senator cracker that's like the, the first big thing you're like all right there is at least some like time traveling aspect going on like that there's that that yep. question going on you're like okay these people are from our present there's so much subtlety to it and you know it is a little heavy-handed but i i i like and appreciate sort of the heavy handedness a little bit because there is so much subtlety to the rest of it that the heavy handedness of some things then features as a distraction from the subtlety so the subtlety is more impactful yeah it's it's truly just like subliminal messaging and it starts as early as when the logo of the name of the movie pops up so you get the word antebellum across the screen and you go yes that's the name of the movie i'm watching antebellum but as it fades out the bellum part fades first and then the the anta fades second so you get ante which is latin for before right so it's kind of uh, it's highlighted in the opening and it's already giving you this message of the reactionary ideology at play here and then yeah. also in the same logo the e or the first e in antebellum is backwards mm-hmm. so i took that to mean or it t- took that to represent the backwards looking ideology of the Confederates here. Mm-hmm. So it's like, even from the very, very start, before they even get to the intro credit sequence, there's that, or I guess it's right after the intro credit sequence, there's that going on. It's it's cra- crazy how there's like all these little things and then ends up being part of the message of the movie, like the contemporary timeline of the movie. Like all the things that are so subtle that are pointing to racial inequality in the present they're they're like racial microaggressions so there's like all these little Mm -hmm. hints placed throughout the movie of like what's actually going on that mirror that contemporary meaning so well these racial microaggressions are the little hints and you put those together and what do you get in the end you get this massive affront to racial injustice it's done i i think on several levels i can't remember her name all i can think of is marjorie taylor green you know the woman who's like bringing she's like the headhunter elizabeth yeah marjorie taylor green right she's a senator Um, (laughs) instead of being a senator she's the senator's daughter right like she sort of represents that halfway point between the the modern because there is sort of this like stuck in the past. We never see Senator Denton outside of his Confederate uniform. We never and we never see him outside of his 
his civil uh, civil war persona. And the black people that Elizabeth brings in are sort of the representatives of the future of black Americans. All of them are, are leading activist voices. And then she's the one that's kind of saddled between the two. It's like the scene where they're about to fight between Elizabeth and, and Veronica, where Elizabeth says, you, you ain't nothing but a cotton picker. And the the word picker kind of like stood out to me at that point because like she is she is the cho- the chooser she picks which people to put in this plantation right so she is oh, truly the picker so like it, it, that stood out to me in that moment of like she and and you know it's funny that kind of mirrors really well with when veronica hits the senator with the kettle mm-hmm. and you know the 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 phrase Hot calling the kettle black yep right exactly so it's like that comes back symbolically when when elizabeth is calling her a cotton picker and like because she is truly the pickers the the pot the pot calling the kettle black and also the word black being in that phrase like there's no way that you can ignore those two things put together (laughs) um I mean, I got. I guess it could be like extreme coincidence that she just happened to take the kettle of all things to beat him over the head with, but I, I don't think it is. I think everything in this film was done intentionally. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I absolutely think that it is important that she picked up the kettle to hit him with, considering his sword was on the ground next to her. <laughs> right. Well, she does <laughs> use that too eventually. <laughs> Later. Yeah. Yeah. That that is eventually what incapacitates him, but. She could have killed him like five minutes earlier. Yeah. Well, and and that that moment is where we start getting the reversal, and like Veronica, you find yourself cheering Veronica on like for a solid ten minutes of the film at that moment mm-hmm. because she's one. She hits him over the head with the kettle, and then she stabs him with the sword, and then she's dragging him to a little uh, cremation oven, and then you get that slow shot of her walking away with the torch and it's great oh i was so glad that she killed him that i think is one of the most dissatisfying things about some of these movies where at the end the the because this is a realistic horror movie like the the big thing about this horror movie is that it is incredibly discomforting it is hard to watch it doesn't really have necessarily scary moments but it is it is viscerally real like we get to watch it from the perspective of entirely being discomforted comforted the like just the whole time in my opinion lesser movies the end she would have just been like i'm not i'm nothing like you and then she won't kill them because you know they'll do the thing where it's just like go ahead do it and then they're like no because i'm not like you and then they'll like reject that desire to kill mm-hmm. and i was so glad that she was just like no we're <laughs> we're not playing this game <laughs> she just did it i was like yes thank god a person who is like, if these people survive, they will get another chance to do this again. Well, and that also is a testament to Veronica's character, because in the contemporary era, you get her as being this really strong, active person in the community. And then, you know, she kind of becomes meek for a little while and, and compliant. But then at that point, she has made the decision. She goes, we're escaping tonight in killing them. She's doing what has to be done in order for her to survive and her her people to be saved. Mm-hmm. And that's so much that that conviction is so much more in line with her character that has been revealed to this point. So I feel like anything else would have been like, you know, disappointing, like you would, like you said, 
It had to be. It had to be done, and they actually did it. Yeah. That's the thing that I'm like, yes, thank Jesus, they actually just killed the bad guy. <laughs> and and Elizabeth, her her death was brutal. Oh yeah, her death was was terrible. And there's actually there's like a, an interesting um, idea uh, with uh, Elizabeth's character too when um, they're fighting at the end and Veronica is just wailing on her. She says, "What's wrong with you? What kind of woman are you?" Because one of the things that these groups, these like racial hate groups, they do is they pit fragilities against each other. It's like, oh, they they convince this woman that women are in jeopardy because of black people. Mm-hmm. Like that is why she goes to the lengths that she does it's not about it's not about womanhood for her it is about blackness whereas we get to sort of see the opposite side of that both womanhood and blackness represented in the relationships between Janelle Monae and her two colleagues that are both women that join her for the middle segment of the movie like there there are discussions of race that happen there and they're very forward about that and the white woman is, acknowledges the plights that the other two go to as being separate issues not competing issues mm-hmm. which i think is uh, an issue that is is so often used against against black people whenever you know using policy like the the big thing that i'm thinking of is just like you only hear about black on black violence when there is violence being done to black people and that is the i that is the the pitting of fragilities against each other mm-hmm. right yeah uh you only hear you only hear about those things when they're being used as a scapegoat uh to to justify some other cause the idea of the patriarchy is also very present in this movie because you know there there's that you know what kind of woman are you in there Mm -hmm. but there's also veronica brings up and attacks the patriarchy model of society in her conference that she's giving yeah you know the the world is designed for white men you know coming from two white men this might not mean much (laughs) but we try to understand as much as we cannot we try to understand and think movies like this help us we can observe the issues at play in the movie and the messages being brought up but also with, with the patriarchy, there's there's this idea between, or with Daniel, you know, when Daniel is first introduced at that kind of like celebratory dinner at the plantation, where mm-hmm. in the reenactment, there must have been like the Confederates won whatever battle, and they're reenacting this, this celebration, and mm-hmm. and then Daniel's kind of eyeing Julia, who had like just gotten put on the plantation... Uh, who has kind of become the confidant of, or I guess Veronica has become Julia's confidant. So she's kind of like this this minor character. And, yeah, because she's so recent. Right. And there's the whole thing with like Daniel's friend is like, oh yeah, talk to her. And like he, you know, gets her, get, gets them kind of like, he's, he's trying to like wingman Daniel into raping her, which. Right. Because the was, I think it's the, the, the like the second in command guy who I should really know his name, but the you know the mustache. Yeah, guy. he's just like <laughs> he's like Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, she'll he, be waiting for you in her cabin at this time. Right, and he's like you know this, anything here is for you or anyone here is for you you to take or something like that. And it's yeah. you know one that's so obviously shit. yeah that's so obviously rape, but also it's is treating 
these black people like property as literally being a slave is also this dynamic like daniel's acting all shy and everything and like really nervous about doing this and and julia goes oh i can tell that you're not like like them like the others you're not like those other monsters and as soon as she says the word monsters he starts going off about like how she shouldn't have spoken to him yeah like how she is breaking the rule of not speaking and starts beating her and gets all mad and he goes i'm just as much a confederate as the rest of those guys and it's this and you get this feeling of like being like his masculinity has just been insulted like they do talk he mentions uh he mentions her not saying about how he wasn't masculine enough right and he, he directly says, yeah. Yeah, they directly equate being confederate to being masculine. and To being masculine to being sexually powerful. Right. And I think that it kind of taps into, I guess, the mindset of contemporary confederates. And I don't think any contemporary confederates are going to be <laughs> listening to this, so I'm not afraid of offending them. Uh, and, and I want to offend them. Truth, oh, I'm not truth. afraid of offending them. And I know several <laughs> truth, truth be told. <laughs> uh, and it's just, I don't understand how you can be for such inequality. And, and, you know, that's, that's part of why we watch this movie and think it's so good. Of course, other people would watch this movie and hate it because they're not accepting of the, the messages that it is offering, but yeah, that, that being said, going back to the, the Confederacy is masculinity, it gives you even more to work with, with the themes there, and, and gives you even more idea of, like, what's what messages are actually coming out of this. Like, it's not just racial inequality, it's also gender inequality, it's just societal injustice in general. However, racial inequality is at the forefront. There's such a significant issue with uh, the idea of, like, these things are taught to people. The idea that that Daniel is different is, and that he, it's bad that he's different, is taught to him. Uh, and, and that's sort of reflected in, in, you know, he he doesn't want the other, he doesn't want the other guys to know. It's, it's very much like a frat hood mentality. And I think that there is always such a direct link between this sort of treatment of other people with sexual aggressiveness and violence and a lot of men who are not able to understand or comprehend their own emotions can only really exist on the spectrum of two things they either have to be sexually aggressive or they have to be physically aggressive and they have no sense of self or the in-betweenness and that's why even though daniel's sexual inadequacy is sort of brought into the fold he makes up for that inadequacy with violence and that is a taught behavior and going further into this idea of teaching those behaviors the little girl that's in this movie that Mm -hmm. i wish had just gotten absolutely slapped in that elevator (laughs) she's another example she uh chose to name the one girl julia which is also a very modern name and i think that that's another giveaway that it's Mm -hmm. like um a a time period thing but she is sort of another indicator that you know this is this is a generational thing like senator denton taught it to his daughter his daughter taught it to her daughter the cycle continues because this is how they are teaching these people yeah it it is kind of like this generational like almost brainwashing kind of thing in my eyes oh yeah they're they're brainwashed yeah because she's too young and out of touch with reality 
at that point to even know the rules of the real world. Because in that elevator, she tells Veronica that she has to be quiet. Yeah. And that's kind of a, a sign of something else I want to talk about, which is this idea that the reenactment, like it, it's it's truly like this reenactment is they're playing the past. They have this fantasy of the past. And it's like this facade that suggests that the Confederates are somewhat dissociating from their mm -hmm. real contemporary lives and yes. showing that they prefer their historically fictive reality over actuality. And this little yeah. girl is not able to tell the difference between the two because she is being raised more in this, this fictive reality than our true reality. And it's this like crazy thing that you get this, this Confederate fantasy versus the contemporary injustices that you see in the form of racial microaggressions in the contemporary world mm -hmm. and it's like this it it's so much of that like little little versus big there's this duality to everything mm -hmm. in this movie and it's so interesting this theme of duality comes up again yeah. and again this month in which we are looking yeah. at these these black produced directed acted films mm -hmm. and it's and i think it's coming and, and most of these are are very modern the only one that hasn't been very modern was ganja and has but ganja still has. after the um the social uh, what am i what am i trying to say the in the 60s the civil rights movement civil rights movement i don't know why i could not think of that thank you uh still after the civil rights movement so it's, you can tell it's, I think it's like this, and I, I don't know exactly what to make out of it because I am not part of the black community and I can't exactly speak for them, but it's, it's at least, you can tell it's, it's a message they want out there. And it's this theme that they are struggling with, right? And not necessarily struggling with, but this theme that is very present in their work. So you can tell that they're thinking about it and that it is important to them. And I, yeah. I, I think it's the duality at its most in, in its most basic form is this race versus this race. Yeah. And it's not necessarily versus, but it, there is this division and that's what they're feeling. I believe I cannot yeah. speak for them. I am speaking out against the white people that this movie portrays. The whole idea of diminishing the message, that's exactly what's going on. The whole reason why Veronica is taken in the first place is because her she, she's becoming this big voice in for the for the black community. And what happens to her after that? She gets kidnapped, put on, on a plantation, and told literally she cannot speak. So she cannot relay her message any longer. Right? They they are literally silencing her because she is getting too loud and being heard too often in reality, in their eyes. So that is that is paired with the senator, Senator Denton, raping her. Yeah. And you cannot ignore that. He is, it's like this representation of like the government. He is, he is rep representative of the U.S. government. He's literally raping Veronica. He's liter literally raping the voice of the black community. And it's also this, you know, he, he feels this need to dominate her and to silence her so that he feels 
superior still. He feels like he's in control of those black voices. Because at, at the end of the day, Veronica is truly the representation of black voices and, you know, the, the voice of racial injustice. Or I guess the voice against racial injustice is a better way of putting it. The theme, the, the things that kind of point out the theme of duality and, and this like, this really like warped kind of mirror image that we get a lot of times in here, that's, that is so unsettling and that makes this a horror movie is that, okay, so you get the two major monologues and speeches in this is Veronica's speech at the conference. And then you have the senator's speech after their, like their, at their victory dinner. And Veronica says during hers, she's talking about, you know, Confederate minded people and conservative minded people. She's saying they're stuck in the past. We are the future. So already there's this future versus past thing, duality. And the senator during his, he says, we will sacrifice our blood and fertilize the soil of our homeland. This is our, this land is our birthright, our way of life. And that's always something you hear from conservatives as our, it's our way of life. We need to protect our way of life and our values. And I hate the word values because of this. Now you get this idea of like, they want things to be how they were. And it's, and this to, to the core of it is why I do not understand conservative, the conservative mindset is because I, and, and you'll probably delete all this too, because, but it's just for the sake of conversation. It's like, it, it is in our nature to evolve and to better ourselves. And why, why go back? Why look back and want to be how we were, you know, during the time of the civil war, people were dying at the age of 50 on average, maybe 60. And things like you can, you can agree. We have, we have smartphones, we have computers, we have things that are, are amazing. We have, we have um, Hulu, which we can watch this movie on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's amazing the world we live in these days and compare that to the times of civil war when, when, black people were segregated and think of how much the black community contributes to this modern society that we all enjoy so much and you and you cannot tell me that they don't the confederate flat the confederates lost they've lost twice they lost for a reason they lost for a reason and then also they've lost twice if you fly the confederate flag you're a loser and i hate you and you're a loser well, and it's, <laughs> I mean, they truly are. They lost. <laughs> but uh, it's its the meaning of the word loser. And I, I will po- point out that Zach and I, uh, I feel, have been very careful not to use Republican or conservative, but rather Confederate. However, know that that is not an absolution of Republicans or conservatives who enable this behavior. Mm-hmm. Right. You can be Republican, you can be conservative, and you are not, you do not align with the ideals of people who identify as Confederate. Look forward, don't look back. That's the message of this movie. And, and yeah, if you identify as Republican or conservative, you know, you can probably appreciate at least some of what we have to say here. We are, are not against you. If you identify as Republican or conservative, just change. <laughs> That's all we're asking. Ted Cruz ate a person. <laughs> well, <laughs> allegedly. Oh, <laughs> allegedly. Uh, we're not we're, we're not talking about. Uh, sorry, I, we're not talking about Hannibal Lecter right now. All right. Um, 
<laughs> but hey, did you see that they finally cracked the code that he sent to the sun from all those years ago? Are you talking about the Zodiac Killer? Yeah, Ted Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this. That was like two months ago, Matt. <laughs> Yeah, we did talk about this. Also, I believe that I said, I don't think that Ted Cruz is the Zodiac Killer because he's not smart enough to make a cipher. (laughs) That's also definitely true. This is uh, all speculation. I'm not saying that Ted Cruz has eaten a person. I'm just saying I'm not surprised if that would be the case. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of Watch No Evil. This is Matt. And this is Zach. Vote blue. <laughs> no, we can't say that we're not against Republicans. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs>